Today's podcast is brought to you by the engagedinvestor.ca, helping you find and present to joint venture partners. Get your free video training right now at engagedinvestor.ca forward slash breakthrough. Hi, this is Dion Baig from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, episode 39. and welcome to the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. We put this show together to inspire you and help you break through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. My name is Rob Brake and here with me is the co-host with the most, Sandy McKay. Hey, uh, happy to be here again. You come up with those lines beforehand or is that on the spot? That's I like co-host just, with the most. What's that? It's the like co- co-host with the most it's a new one i like it yeah don't get don't get carried away <laughs> uh how are you doing i got man? the co in there yeah don't worry <laughs> how you doing um fantastic man you good good i had an awesome time at the investor forum last what was that last weekend or the weekend before whenever it was it was great again they do a fantastic job with those I mean, there was a ton of people out there, learned a lot, got to talk with all kinds of cool people. And, you know, uh, Sandy, I'm pretty sure you know this, but I lined up a bunch of great guests for for upcoming shows, mm-hmm. including Julie Broad and Stefan Arnio. So I'm super excited about those two interviews coming up. So everyone be on the lookout for those as well. And uh, didn't set this one up uh, at the Investor Forum, but today we have Glenn Carter author and real estate investor on the show with us. How are you, Glenn? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys today? Very good. Awesome. And it's our first first guest, right, from Quebec. First guest from Quebec. That's right. Montreal, right? Yes, absolutely. That's uh, that. I didn't realize you, you only stuck with Ontario. No, we don't. I didn't, but <laughs> no. I didn't realize you guys were uh, discriminatory. <laughs> mm, well, you know. <laughs> well, listen, guys. I'm a, I'm a longtime listener to a number of real estate podcasts, but when I heard uh, about the Canadian real estate one a few years back, I almost did a backflip. So, uh, thank you, guys. Uh, I've been a longtime listener, and I'm especially happy to be uh, listening tonight because uh, otherwise, I'd be watching the uh, big primaries in the U.S. and I'm just sick and tired of hearing about Donald Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a Saturday Night Live skit, I'm not really all that interested either. Yeah, they do a really good job with that. They do. <laughs> um, you know, when we first started out, Sandy and I, it was more, the idea was more of a local thing. And then we quickly realized that the, we, well, the show actually caught on pretty quickly. So, so that was the incentive to push things out a little further. It didn't seem right to just be talking local. And we do enough of our local talk for sure, too, though, still. <laughs> well, we've had, uh, we've had some BC people. We've had, uh, Quebec now have we 
Have we had like an Alberta one? I don't even think we have. No, but uh, Stefan Arnio and I've got another guy lined up who runs a uh, real estate investing club out in uh, Winnipeg. Okay. So he's cool. coming up too. Ben Echo Davis. Yeah. Well, we've hit up Ontario everywhere, right? So I guess it's time to move on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, There's nothing more to learn from anyone out here. um okay so today's tip of the day um i know we've said this before but i think it's worth saying again because i've started just practicing this and actually putting it into um into my life and that is to reward yourself for jobs well done we don't do enough of that i think it's pretty easy to get caught up in work there's always something else that needs to be done but instead of pushing on right away, which I tend to do a lot of, you need to take a step back and reward yourself. Give yourself something. Make some fun out of life. Right, Sandy? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, now we're just talking. What are we going to do to celebrate this flip? We're, we're just about to list this uh, property we're flipping. Really? And, uh, it's been a long one, so we're, we're uh, getting ready to celebrate. Don't know what we're going to do yet, but um, I'm excited to do something. <laughs> Well, give me an example of what you've done in, in the recent past. Anything? Kind of depends how big it is, I suppose. I mean, we're, we're not going to go crazy. We'll just have a night out or something. Oh, know. yeah. No, that's that's great. That counts, right? Yeah. If it's something you wouldn't normally do or you're doing it specifically for that, then that's great. What about you, Glenn? What have you done lately to, to uh, reward yourself? Well, uh, my wife and I have two young kids, so... Uh... The biggest reward we get uh, is, yeah, pretty much the same as Sandy, get a, a night out, maybe go check out a movie, but uh, that that does wonders because we don't get to do that very often. Now, is that in celebration of the book that you just released? Yeah, yeah, that or, uh, you know, a promotion my wife just got or, you know, whatever. We uh, we like to go out and have fun on the town. We're we're actually, we live in Ottawa, but my, my full-time job is in Montreal, so I commute back and forth. So I guess you could consider me still, you know, half Ontario. Mm. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. So you're crossing borders every day. Yeah, well, Quebec has the cheap beer, so uh, that's yeah, that's the best way that. to do it. So then I guess you have to get home with it, or do you just you just wind up uh, spending the night? <laughs> yeah, I just pull over <laughs> one on the or the other. Road, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> okay. So yeah, no, that's. Um, that's our tip of the day. Reward yourself. Try to remember that, everybody. Um, it's a good practice to get into. I know it's a really tough one sometimes, but well worth it once you actually do it a few times and realize that you're working for something, not just for the next for the next goal in your business. Um, Sandy, you want to talk about our, uh, our our free gift that we have on our website? I got a bit of housekeeping, I suppose. Yeah. I always want to recommend people to head over to BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca, pick up our free report there, Seven Freedom Activators You Can Trigger in Your Property Starting Right Now. Uh, some great advice on there, how to, how to manage properties, how to set them up properly so you're uh, getting some time back in your life and some freedom. And also want to recommend everyone to head over to iTunes, as always, give us a five-star review. Always appreciate that. It helps us get this uh, content out to more people throughout Canada, and that's our, our goal here. So we'd always appreciate if someone can do that. And I actually got an email asking how someone can leave a comment not on iTunes if they weren't on iTunes and they wanted to leave a comment, and that is go to our website. Just click on the episode you want to make a comment on, and there's a spot right there. Just leave us any of your feedback. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
real quick, Sandy, you just said you were finishing up a flip. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on uh, as well as that right now? Uh, okay, cool. I guess, you know what, people can, if, if people are listening, they want to add me on Facebook or something and, and see it. we got some photos up there now starting to creep out. We just did some staging. It's going to be listed within the next few days. So maybe if you're listening to this now, it might be almost too late, actually. But you can probably still see uh, some photos up there. And it's uh, cool, really nice property. We went kind of crazy with it. Probably the biggest uh, renovation we've done on a on a flip so far. Right in Hamilton, downtown area near Gage Park, if anyone knows that. And it's a single family. Bought it for two twenty three. Probably gonna we're gonna list that four sixty four fifty nine. Gosh, we it's a total guide to everything. We spent uh, we'll be close to one fifty all in. Oh wow, okay, yeah, that sounds like a. Uh substantial <laughs> substantial renovations good job um yeah. how so now how do you, what is your facebook name <laughs> i think this is my normal name okay well i don't know sandy mckay people should be able to find it just google me or m-a-c-k-a-y that's true that's the one thing everyone misses right. m-a-c Okay, yeah, I've 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 got three rental projects on the go right now, so I'm, my head is spinning off, and uh, I'm hoping to wrap at least one of them up this week. So that would be fantastic, and just selling a bunch of real estate, having a good time. Cool. All right, uh, let's get into this interview. I'm very excited about today's guest, Glenn Carter, who is a real estate investor from Ottawa and Montreal. He has written two books, Secrets of the Sharing Economy and Secrets of the Sharing Economy Part 2, which has just been released. Uh, Glenn has five investment properties, but his main focus is the sharing economy and how landlords can use it in their business or to just make some extra income. Glenn is a family man, investor, full-time employee in that order. He makes side income through various sharing economy platforms, real estate and small businesses, Glenn has learned from the best entrepreneurs in the world that you don't need silver bullets to become wealthy, just discipline and action. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thanks for having me, guys. So what is the sharing economy, Glenn? This is a tricky one. There are so many misconceptions out there, and there's so much media attention now surrounding it, some good, some bad. It's really easy to get distracted. Before I get into exactly what I feel it is, um, you know, my philosophy is that you know, the sharing economy is here to stay. There's going to be growing pains, and this is good. But in the meantime, uh, we want to show people how to profit from it. So, uh, I mean, you've probably heard all the synonyms for sharing economy. There's, you know, uh, access economy, collaborative economy, uh, sharing marketplaces. But really, in its simplest form, the sharing economy is the in entirety of hundreds of online websites that enable people to turn otherwise unproductive assets into income-producing ones. So this includes their homes, their cars, parking spots, clothes, consumer items, hobbies, whatever. Um, it's about finding value in wasted or underused capacity. So everyone's heard of Uber, Airbnb, TaskRabbit, and others. These are all sharing economy platforms. And interestingly, in a vote of confidence, uh, Merriam-Webster added the sharing economy this year to their online edition. And I have the definition here. Let me just look. Um, yes, here we go. Uh, sharing economy. And they, they define it as economic activity that involves individuals buying or selling usually temporary access to goods or services, especially as arranged through an online company or organization. Now, 
these these companies or organizations are essentially websites that act as intermediaries between consumers. Um, for instance, Airbnb's business revolves around linking up travelers with owners who engage in a transaction for short-term access to that, that property. Um, so that's really the academic definition of a sharing economy. What I've argued is that the sharing economy is really the fundamental shift between the scarcity principle to one of abundance. Um, that is, how can we capitalize on abundance, uh, on the abundance of a consumer generation? So the old mentality of excess consumption is now moving more to access consumption. So instead of owning a car, you can use one only when you need it. Instead of owning a thousand consumer or retail items, you can rent them from others. Instead of paying for a taxi or a hotel, you can leverage the excess of others. So this new business model is not about sharing at all. It's really about access. And uh, really, business is booming. There's the, I'm sure a lot of people have heard uh, who are up to speed on the sharing economy, the Price Waterhouse Coopers estimate that the value of the sharing economy sector by 2025 is going to grow to 335 billion and that same number for 2013 was 15 billion so um, you can just imagine that growth Um, and i just read in the huffington post actually this morning that uh that the sharing economy is being labeled the fourth industrial revolution so i mean that's a fancy definition explanation of this macro shift uh you know we have chosen to term the sharing economy but Really, what does this mean for us when we bring it down to the micro level? According to a number of economic studies, the sharing economy is paying out tens of millions of dollars every day to people just like us, and this number is growing uh, exponentially. So my goal is really to teach people how to take their slice of that pie and really stay away from those that, the whole macro academic uh, study of this economic shift. So now I have just uh, sort of a an outside overview of what is going on with uh, sites like Uber, let's say. And my understanding of it is that you more or less just, okay, today I'm going to drive into Toronto from here in Oshawa where I am. So I uh, I go on to Uber and somebody says, hey, need a ride from Oshawa to Toronto today. So, so then I can say, all right, well, I'll do that. Is that generally what someone would do? Yeah, well, it's it's typically more frequent than that. I mean, it's uh, you know, there's riders and drivers, and this is just um, just talking about Uber here. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that platform, the riders and drivers have their uh, pre-established ratings and feedback. So they have a rating system, so that'll inform the decision both way by drivers and riders on who will drive. But yeah, you you would you would open your Uber app if you need a ride anywhere, just like you would call a taxi. And Uber's algorithm will automate the 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 fare estimate, and uh, it, and all the money will be exchanged via the platform. So there's no uh, physical money handed between the driver or the rider. Yeah, so it just it's just basically a, a platform that connects um, someone with a vehicle who's willing to share that with others to someone who needs a ride somewhere. See, that's pretty interesting to me. But does it replace an income, or or would it be more useful just if I happen to be going somewhere and and just looked it up and thought, okay, make a couple extra dollars driving somebody there while I'm on my way? It, or would it, it, it make sense to say, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna work as an Uber cab for the day and replace my job? I think yeah, it would well, be both. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Sandy. It, it could certainly be both. Um, I think very few people would consider that their full-time employment uh, because of its flexibility. You know, you can just turn on your 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 app and say, "I'm ready to drive for two hours." Um, people use it as supplemental income. 
Um, so I wouldn't, I, I would say that the majority of Uber drivers definitely aren't full time. Um, obviously if, if you get into bigger markets like, you know, New York city where you can actually make like 90 K a year driving for Uber, then there's a lot of people who do it full time. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely both. Sorry, uh, Sandy, I interrupted you. No, good. I think I saw, I think I read an article. I didn't read the whole article. I think maybe just saw the headline maybe a month ago or so. <laughs> Something about a guy. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> There's something about a guy in the U.S. I don't know where exactly. The numbers was like it was a million plus. I think he was making as an Uber driver, and I don't think it was just himself. Obviously, I think maybe he had some sort of a team aspect going within Uber, like he had employees to himself kind of thing. I don't know. If, it'd be huh. kind of cool. I don't know. I didn't read the whole article. I should have, but it was interesting. interesting. I've heard people do that for uh, uh, not ride sharing but car sharing, where they'll have a fleet of vehicles that they that they rent out and sort of make a, a small business out of it. Well, everyone has heard of Airbnb and Uber, but what other platforms are out there that people should know about? There's literally hundreds, and every day, you know, we see something materialize new in the sharing economy space. I was just uh, reading an article the other day, and I I got beyond the headline, um, and it was one uh, it was it was one called Airbnb, and it's actually a sharing economy platform where you, where you just share your bathroom. So if someone's in your area and you're sharing your bathroom they could pay you a dollar or two dollars to use your bathroom so um, I think I think we've gone a little far uh, with this but uh, like I said there's literally hundreds of these platforms out there but there's major categories that we've trying to uh, tried to break them down into um, and these are actually chapters in, in, in the books you mentioned earlier um, but I mean just a few of the major ones I mean you mentioned Airbnb so that's a part of the broader home sharing category in the sharing economy there's office space rental uh, there's ride sharing, which Uber and Lyft would be a part of. Uh, there's clothing. There's uh, art, artistic uh, platforms uh, such as Cargo. Um, there's ones for animal lovers. Uh, um, one called Dog Vacay. Another one called Rover.com, where you can, uh, you know, basically pet sit. Um, there's tasking services like TaskRabbit. That's the biggest one. But there's one based out of Toronto called Ask for Task. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. There's meal sharing. There's car sharing. There's parking. Um, there's uh, delivering goods, there's travel, tutoring, cycling, and the list goes on. There's all of these, and within each of these categories, there's at least you know half a dozen uh, websites that operate in that space. So I would have called it Airbnb, but that's just me. <clears throat> what? So the so the travel one. What? How would that work? Yeah, so for travel, there's uh, there's a couple platforms in there, but our favorite is one called Viable, and you you act as a local tour guide in your particular area, um, and you list what they call experiences on their websites, which are essentially tours, and uh, people will book through the Viable platform, you, and you will take them out on a tour, they'll pay you, it'll go through the Viable platform, and then the rating goes uh, both ways again, like I mentioned on Uber, where the the tourists will get rated and the, the tour guides uh, will get rated. Huh. This is pretty crazy. There's lots going on. What got you so interested in the sharing economy, uh, Glenn? How did you get so involved in it? Uh, just basically uh, being a user and seller on it. I mean, I, I have a lot of experience with uh, Airbnb. I, and uh, Rob mentioned you guys, uh, I was you know originally and still am a real estate investor. So the Airbnb concept really made sense to me. And I've now bought properties solely for the purpose of renting it on uh, on Airbnb and uh, doubled and sometimes tripled my possible monthly income through Airbnb. 
so that's I got my start through Airbnb, but I've worked on uh, TaskRabbit as well, and I've been a, a user of dozens of, of sharing economy platforms. So, but I really, really, really started with uh, with Airbnb. Well, that's interesting. Can so, you walk uh, us through? One... Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, that was one of my next questions coming up was how landlords could incorporate the sharing economy in their business. And I, I think Airbnb would be a big part of that, most likely. Walk us through what a type of property you'd be looking for to do that and how you go through the whole process. Yeah, that's that's a very good question. So for, yeah, that's sort of two two separate questions. I'll start with start with the Airbnb one. So for us, we purchased two properties that were solely for uh, renting out on Airbnb. One was in uh, Orlando, Florida, and the other one uh, was in Montreal. And really what you're looking for, most people are are booking through Airbnb to go on vacation or to now it's becoming a lot more popular with business travel. So you have to make sure like if you're not in a, like you can't be in the suburbs, you have to be in, you know, either a downtown core or near a certain uh, tourist destination. Like in Orlando, we weren't in Orlando. We were, you know, five miles from Disney. Yes, it was, you know, technically be a suburb, but you, just the fact that we were near Disney. So you really have to be in that prime location uh, that people are going to want to book because when you go on Airbnb and you, you know, say, I'm, you know, I'm going to San Francisco and a map, it'll pull up a map of, you know, 10,000 uh, Airbnb listings, you know, you got to stand out. So you really have to be placed strategically. So I would say that's the, the most important thing for uh, if you're going to if you're going to buy a, a rental property solely for the purposes of uh, renting it out on Airbnb. Now, how do you like, is there any restrictions on that as far as properties you're buying? Like, are you buying um, freehold properties, condos, anything specific in that way? Yeah, well, the one in uh, Florida was freehold and the one in uh, Montreal was uh, was a condo. So, yes, it hasn't happened to me, but there are a lot of condo boards that ban short-term rental and then you're, you're sort of hooped. So if you you have to make sure that you check the, the condo bylaws and if it's a new development, um, you've got to be pretty certain that they're going to ban it um, at, uh, at some point once they set up the condo board. So you've got to be very careful about that, certainly. Um, but if you can get, like, you know, uh, um, some kind of terrace home or you know, a townhome or something like that, um, then it, it typically is okay. But uh, yeah, with condos, you, you definitely have to make sure you ask that question before you buy it about uh, the uh, whether they allow short-term rentals. Mm-hmm. And what kind of money are you looking at? Like, is it something where you could make substantially more as opposed to renting it out, you know, typical month-to-month type of strategy? How does that look? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. The biggest thing is that it's a lot more work. So there's a lot more tenant turnover. A lot of people think that, you know, it's a lot riskier, but as I mentioned before, with the rating systems that these platforms had developed, they're really dependent on them. So they put so much work and effort into them that, you know, when I get a request from an Airbnb renter, I can see exactly what, you know, 20 other uh, landlords or Airbnb hosts said about them. So I can be pretty darn sure that they're that they're going to be good if they have, you know, a five-star rating from 20 different people. So that's not the biggest risk. The biggest risk uh, the biggest challenge is the the turnover, the amount of work you have to do. You know, you have to spend at least an hour a day responding to inquiries, you know, uh, communicating with guests because they're going to have questions before they come, you know, uh, showing up to give them the keys if you don't have uh, some sort of key exchange system. So it is, it's it's a lot more involved. You got to clean or hire cleaners uh, and organize that. Um, so it's a lot more involved, but um, certainly a lot more profitable. Our, our one in Florida 
every month we've at least doubled what we could get for a long-term renter. We have neighbors who are renting theirs out long-term uh, for 1200 a month, and we always get well over $2,000 a month, sometimes more. Again, but it's a lot more involved. With the, the Montreal one, we're right downtown, so the summer months are just fully booked. And I remember last year, August, we made over $3,000 for a really small studio uh, in downtown Montreal, you know, if I rented that out long term, I'd get maybe a thousand if I was lucky. Um, in the fall months, and the and, you know, in the in the lower season, there'll be less. But you know, in the lower seasons, we're still getting about two thousand bucks. So, and I know we've been we've been lucky, and we picked. It's it's about picking the right spot because if you pick the right spot, you're really not going to have many challenges because people are just going to book it up. Airbnb is growing you know, substantially. They they have more bookings. I think I read. Uh, couple of weeks ago that uh, after Starwood or Marriott bought Starwood, they're now the biggest hotel chain in the world and they have 1.1 million rooms globally. Airbnb has 2 million. So they're almost double. If you buy right and you advertise right, take good pictures, uh, you're really, you're almost guaranteed to earn substantially more than you would get for a long-term renter. So aside from Airbnb, I know you, you mentioned that you can use a bunch of other ones, but why don't you just uh, pick a few of those and, and explain to everyone what they are and the kind of money that you can make off of uh, each of the different ones that you're going to talk about. Sure. Well, I mean, there's there's ones you can use in your real estate business, but there's also ones that you can use to, to earn supplemental income. I, I could start with the supplemental income. I mean, we're the, the biggest ones, obviously, Airbnb, Uber. We like TaskRabbit. That's one where you can, you're essentially um, completing someone else's to-do list, uh, whether it's handyman work, yard work, painting, anything to do with, with the trades. Um, you can even do online tasks with TaskRabbit. So that's a good way to earn money. Or even if you're a real estate investor, to hire contractors because you have all that uh, social proof of how they've done in the past with all the ratings that they've done. Another new one that we really like for both incorporating into your real estate business and earning money, and it's a good one for realtors too, it's called WeGoLook. It's basically an inspector type platform where they will dispatch what they call their lookers to go look at uh, something that someone's selling. So if you're trying to purchase something remotely, like it's a vehicle or a property or land or you know a big ticket consumer item, you hire someone through this platform who lives in that general vicinity, they'll travel to that site take pictures, fill out a report with all the questions that you've asked them to ask. They'll talk to the seller and then they'll submit that report uh, back to you to see. There's so many. I mean, really, there's uh, there's parking sharing platforms. There's the biggest one in the world. It's called Just Park, where if you're a landlord and you have a bunch of extra parking spaces, you know, you have a multifamily residence or something, you can rent out those spaces through through the Just Park platform. I know in Toronto there's a great uh, great service called uh, Rover Parking, and it's a it's a similar idea to Just Park, where you can you know it's parking sharing uh, a website where you can rent out spare parking spots uh, in the Toronto area and surrounding area, I believe. I think that's RoverParking.com. That's a great one. There's uh, another big category in the sharing economy now is uh, delivering goods. It's very similar to to Uber, where you can turn on your app and someone will show up and uh, deliver you whatever you want. You know, What's that one called? Uh, that one's called Postmates. So I've got to and, figure it out. And it, You do? 
Yeah, I got to figure it out here. Okay, so you use WeGo Luck to go check out the property that you're going to buy to put on Airbnb, right? And so your place down in Florida, let's say, you get them to go check it out. You say, I want one that's close to Disney. They And then make sure that it's good for use on Airbnb. So then they go look. They send you the pictures, the report, everything. You decide to buy it. Use TaskRabbit to uh, take care of all the turnover and all of the in-between the rentals. And then use Postmates to deliver the keys for you. Turnkey. There I you go. It. I love it. It's all right there. <laughs> and actually, just uh, to touch on like specifically what you can make, like the amount of money you can make, uh, it really depends on you know, how many hours you work and what platforms you use. Drivers on Uber and Lyft earn approximately 19 bucks an hour. Um, I was uh, reading the other day, too, about uh, Uber drivers in Toronto, and they picked March of 2015 uh, for whatever reason, but in, in that month alone, Uber drivers in Toronto earned over $6 million in fares. The the TaskRabbit average hourly rate is $40 an hour. On car car sharing platforms, uh, the biggest one is called Turo. It's, it was formerly called Relay Rides, um, but the average renter on that platform makes about 400 bucks a month for renting out their vehicle, like like you know you would with Avis or Hertz or, or another uh, car rental service. The parking spot ones uh, that I mentioned, I'm not sure about Rover, but I know on Just Park, um, the average is four dollars a day per parking spot that uh, people get. On the tuber, uh, tutoring websites, there's the biggest one called uh, Wiseant. Uh, tutors earn about 40 bucks an hour. And Airbnb is trickier because it really depends on uh, whether you're renting out a room or your entire home. Um, but if you're just renting out a room in your home and you're trying to rent it out full time, uh, the average is about $700 a month. Um, and if you're trying to rent out your home, I mean, it really depends on on on. You know the size of your home, where it is, and all that. But there's actually a really good website called AirDNA. Uh, co, I believe, and uh, you can actually put your city's name, and then it will filter through all the Airbnb data and tell you the average uh, that people earn in that particular city. It's it's a really great, uh, uh, really great uh, statistics website. That if you're thinking, oh, Airbnb might work for me, how much can I earn? Check out uh, AirDNA. Co. That's a really good website. Huh, great. This is good info. You have written a couple of books. Do you want to tell us about your books? Uh, yeah, thanks Thanks for the opportunity. I've, I've written uh, two books, as you mentioned in the intro, both of which are on how people can make money in the sharing economy. I started writing Secrets of the Sharing Economy as one book, but quickly realized that it would be a thousand pages because there's so many different websites. Um, so I've broken it down into several parts. The first part was uh, released in August, and the second part was just released uh, last month. And really what the books are about are bringing all of these platforms together in a comprehensive way so people can pick and choose which ones best apply to their lifestyle. Part two of The Secrets of Sharing Economy is available on Amazon. Um, it's $0.99 cents right now. It's going to be bumped up to nine ninety nine shortly. And for listeners of the Breakthrough Podcast, uh, they can get the first book for free by going to uh, our website, thecasualcapitalist.com slash secrets1. That's S-E-C-R-E-T-S and the number one. Just go to that link and uh, you'll get the free free first book delivered to your email inbox. Yeah, that was awesome. And I had to do that. And thank you. You sent me the second book. And then as I start reading the second one, it says, hey, don't read this book yet. Go read the first one first. So then I had to do that. So That's how we get you. Yep, that's how you get us. But now everyone can get it for free who's listening to this, so it's great. 
Thank you for that. Thank you. We appreciate uh, you sharing all that. What would you say is the first step for somebody who's looking to get started in the sharing economy? Yeah, because this can be pretty overwhelming with with all the different uh, websites that you can tap into. So um, I usually suggest three things. The first one is a selfish one. You know, go check out our website. We've got a bunch of free resources uh, to help get you started. Number two is take our quiz. We have uh, it's like a personality quiz that'll ask you questions about your lifestyle. And then it will tell you which sharing economy platform uh, is best best for you and your particular lifestyle and what you do on, a, on an average day. It's about a 20 question, yes or no, uh, takes about three minutes. That's, that's number two. And the best one out of all these three, if you don't do the first two, we always suggest people become a user of the sharing economy before they become a seller. You know, mm-hmm. if you're thinking Airbnb, Uber, or some other platform uh, might interest you, then start using it. You know, talk with people who are selling in it. You know, take an Uber ride a dozen times. Talk with all the drivers, you know, because the big thing with uh, Airbnb and Uber, and uh, Sandy alluded to it earlier, that there's there's regulations that might make your life miserable. So talk with the, talk with the sellers because every jurisdiction, especially when it comes to Uber, you know, for instance, in Montreal, Uber's technically illegal as it is in most other cities and just in 2015 they confiscated over 400 vehicles from drivers but the the flip side to that is that uber is winning the pr battle because they're actually paying for all the impound fees all the legal fees uh for everyone who gets dinged by uh by bylaw in all municipalities not just montreal so and they'll even rent you out a car while your car is impounded so you can continue ubering wow wow so it's a bit of a, a middle finger to uh, to the municipalities. But uh, yeah, no, so you don't get yourself into trouble because it is the sharing economy is really operating in this gray area right now. And we, you know, legislators haven't really caught up. Um, there's some great work going on now in Ontario with uh, Tim Hudak, and he's got the uh, he's got a private members bill to try and help governments figure out this whole sharing economy business and how can we regulate it so it's safe for everyone uh, and accepted. Um, so yeah, certainly become a user in, in the particular platform you want to start selling in before you start selling in it. And then do you know, what does that regulation entail? Do you, do you happen to know? Yeah, well, and your listeners can check it out. It's, uh, opportunities in the sharing economy.ca, but, uh, uh, Tim's particular legislation focuses on four different categories the big ones like, uh, home sharing and ride sharing and a couple others. It's trying to set a framework for which the discussion can start happening. How can uh, municipalities and provinces start dealing with these uh, businesses? Um, because really, no one really knows where to start. The provinces are looking at the municipalities. The municipalities are looking at the provinces. And meanwhile, you know, the taxi lobbies are getting in fights with Uber drivers, and it's it's going on YouTube. So it's really it's just a it's just a starting. Point so we can set up a framework on how the discussion is going to happen because the discussion hasn't even happened yet. Uh huh. And I saw there was some kind of protest in Toronto not too long ago, which I saw on the news probably a, roughly a month ago, I would say, where they just parked on the street, got out of their cabs and and left them there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> And they don't do themselves any favors. I, I mean, I find I, I'm obviously biased, but, you know, any major economic disruption brings with it opposition. I think back to the advent of, you know, online shopping in the early 2000s where everyone, you know, a lot of people said this is a dumb idea. No one's going to buy anything virtually that they can't see. It's going to be a, a playground for fraudsters. 
uh, but people started buying buying anyway and we're in this early stage now uh, with the sharing economy people are afraid of change and constructive opposition is good I mean we don't want runaway you know runaway uh, sharing economy where you know it's just the wild wild west and there's legitimate concerns um, you know it's for instance when you're thinking about you know liability and insurance these are really legitimate concerns that we need to talk about um, but there's there's great work being done on this and uh, we just need to keep talking about it mm-hmm Glenn Airbnb just going back a bit first of all you mentioned insurance and stuff there or liabilities does that affect insurance at all in any way when you're buying these properties and renting them on Airbnb is everything the same it depends for me if I buy a property and I'm renting it like I'm buying it as a investment property then the insurance is going to cover it as you know as a rental as a rental if I'm buying a property and renting out a room um, I'm not sure (laughs) I would suggest everyone talk to their uh, insurance providers because I'm not sure that you're going to be provided now all of these platforms and Airbnbs included they have their own built-in insurance liability and it's it's usually upwards of a million dollars so if something happens you can go through Airbnb and I know people who've had who have had to go through them and they've all had really good experiences so hopefully that's not the case for any of your listeners but I mean it's it's really hard to say because you are operating in a gray area if you're if you don't have the proper insurance and something happens then you could be liable do you happen to know I mean, you said that uh, Uber's covering all these costs for people that run into the issues with the impound and that kind of thing. Would you happen to know what kind of profits Uber is making? Yeah, actually, they just released uh, their profit statements um, for 2015, and it was actually very disappointing. It was only a billion (laughs) dollars. That was disappointing to them. That was disappointing because some economic projections of what they were going to earn this year were upwards of $10 billion. Um, but they they so aggressively expanded into new markets um, like Europe and uh, and China. The three biggest uh, Uber cities now by drivers are are Chinese cities. Um, mm-hmm. So they did so much aggressive expansion into China and to Europe and paying all of all of these uh, legal bills and stuff. And that's not even the end of it. I mean, there's the big Supreme Court or not Supreme Court. There was uh, uh, it was a higher U.S. court now. You know whether you know, sharing economy workers are contractors or employees, and they're they're fighting strongly against that. So, Airbnb or Uber's uh, uh, profit was one billion dollars. Yeah. yeah, all things considered, I think that sounds pretty good. How like it's not a very old company. How long has it been around? I think it's really started to hit the stage in five years, but I think uh, I think it's been around under a different name. I'm not sure if it started as Uber, but anyway, um, it's it's been around. It's it's I mean it's one of the you know the founders of the sharing economy basically right. if you can say that yeah and, and we're not here to focus on uh, any single platform or, or any single service really but uh, I was just interesting I thought I would ask because if they're covering all of these costs and like sure okay I'd like to make 10 billion dollars too but <laughs> expanding at that level and and doing what they're doing as far as covering all those costs and uh, impound charges and all that stuff Sounds uh sounds pretty good. Sounds great. Yeah. I'm curious <clears throat> okay. with the Airbnb one. Would you buy your next property and focus on it being an Airbnb? Like, would that be your next purchase? It's a good Everybody question. Would you keep doing it, I guess, is my question. I wouldn't keep doing it just because uh, there's only so many hours in the day. 
so having two now on Airbnb is is sort of occupying the time just enough that uh, I probably wouldn't want to do it again. Now there are a lot of because Airbnb is becoming so popular. There's there's a lot of middlemen businesses developing. So That's now what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, now you're getting property management companies that are solely based on uh, virtual property management companies that will run your Airbnb listing. Um, I think one's called Pillow, one's called Guesty, um, and I haven't I haven't looked into these in, in greater de- in great detail, but I've heard from a lot of people and you know on the website who email me who, who are big fans of these services. So I may look into that, and if that works out, then I would buy more. But there's sort of a there's a cap on how much time you have because they are so. Uh, so time intensive. Uh, the next one we're buying, we're buying another one in Montreal. In uh, it's still it's a condo, and we're we're strictly going long term just because it's going to be easier. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can see the middleman property management style companies popping up pretty. I can see that becoming pretty substantial. A business like that uh, with the amount of business Airbnb does, and those numbers you're you're saying. I mean, the cash flow has got to be pretty sweet. If you can just get that leveraged a bit and managed for you, I can see building a pretty big portfolio using that. Like, yeah, I mean, when, when you're earning that kind of uh, cash flow, then you know, paying a couple hundred bucks a month to to another management company wouldn't uh, wouldn't be an issue. It's really interesting, like you guys were just saying. I can see incorporating quite a few of these and and building something pretty interesting, getting a lot of your time back and just taking advantage of all of what this has to offer. Yeah, Glenn, what's the number one tip or suggestion you can share with our listeners regarding the sharing economy or if you want something more specific? I think the biggest tip that uh, that I like to give for people who are already operating in the sharing economy or are thinking to get involved in the sharing economy is to manage your reputation capital. I've talked a lot about account- accountability and feedback. All of these websites rely on some sort of feedback system. This is, uh, this is accountability and it's, it's extremely... Uh, important for the sharing economy or like I said it'd be like the wild west you wouldn't know who you're buying from who you're selling to all that kind of stuff so um, although the sharing economy emphasizes access over ownership you really need to own your reputation and uh, we have a number of resources on the site related to reputation capital you know how how to react to a bad uh, review and uh, I've certainly had my fair share so the strategies on how to manage your, your reputation because it's not about being perfect um, it's it's really about molding it and and reacting uh, in a manner that other people are going to view as uh, as positive and professional and all that. So that would be my number one tip. Awesome, that's really good. I mean, not even just for the sharing economy. That's any business you're running. I, it's got to be some valuable tips and stuff on that. So I mean, we'd encourage everyone to go check out your sites and get up to speed on how they can manage their uh, what do you call it? The reputation capital. Capital. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Rob, any other questions for him? Um, well, how can people learn more about you? They can go to our website. Our platform is called The Casual Capitalist, so thecasualcapitalist.com. Um, and everything you need to know about the sharing economy, getting started, and about me is on there. You can follow me on Twitter. My uh, handle is casual underscore Glenn, or even fire me an email directly. It's uh, Glenn at thecasualcapitalist.com. I'd love to hear from people who have had you know positive and negative experiences because uh, you know, certainly there's two sides to the sharing economy coin, and uh, really our our focus is uh, how can people leverage it to make money um, and uh, and avoid the risks. So yeah, thank you guys very much for for having me on the show. 
And I think that sounds really interesting too, uh, that quiz. I'm going to have to take that quiz and see which things fit for me because I'm pretty sure that Airbnb doesn't doesn't do it for me. I can't. But then again, like, well, I mean, I would never use it as a hotel service, I guess, kind of thing. I don't think myself to go out and rent a room from somebody else, but uh, maybe you know they do offer the long term, longer term, like a week uh, vacation spot, that kind of thing. I can see doing so. You know, I, I'm gonna go and take the quiz and see what it has to tell me. Yeah, and that's a, the quiz is easy to get to. It's the casualcapitalist.com/quiz. Yeah, based on the answers, we have about eight or ten different categories. And it'll give you a little bit more information about that particular category, but it's really just about getting started, you know, where to look first, because, you know, this can be overwhelming when you're just sort of looking at it uh, uh, from a beginner standpoint. Oh, yeah. And you were also telling me that you've been contributing to Bigger Pockets. You have real estate uh, related articles on there now. Yeah, we just started actually. We've posted our third article there a couple of days ago. Um, and yeah, it's all about. Uh, the sharing economy, but from a real real estate perspective, you know, what the sharing economy means for real estate investors and landlords and how they can use it to not only earn supplemental income. You know, we've got a lot of stories of people who uh, didn't have enough cash flow to quit their job, but they wanted to quit their job so they could focus on real estate. So they use the sharing economy as sort of a stopgap to to earn some money. So yeah, a lot of stories about that. And then also, how can you incorporate sharing economy services into your real estate business to make it easier? So, you know, I mentioned a few before, like the WeGo Look, the TaskRabbit. Uh, there's a bunch of others that uh, that we list on on the Bigger Pockets uh, articles. Very cool. All of Glenn's info is going to be over on our website under his episode number 39. You can go there and uh, find all of the contact information that Glenn just gave. So, wow, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of that. And uh, everyone should go and grab that free book, which was at the casualcapitalist.com slash secrets one. Definitely go over there and get that. Thanks again, man. Thanks again. This yeah, was Lars, great. I got a page of uh, page of notes here. <laughs> I, I usually don't have off these episodes. This is really intriguing. I, I love this. Well, Rob and Sandy, thanks so much for having me on, and thanks for everything you guys do from a you know fellow Canadian real estate investor. I uh, really appreciate it, so keep up the good work. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks so much. Again, if someone wants to get in touch with me, they can go to BreakthroughPropertyInvestments.ca, and I guess Sandy's Facebook? Sure. Sandy, M-A-C-K-A-Y. Yeah, okay. Everyone have a good night.